Psalm 32. Let's read. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turning to the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. Else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, or you upright in heart. Some of us are very familiar with this uh, psalm, Psalm 32, and it's the joy of uh, a lot of people have labeled or titled this psalm as the joy of forgiveness or the blessedness of forgiveness. And one of the things we're going to see this morning is how David uh, gives us uh, verse 1 and 2 is, is, is an expression of joy, of his joy. Verses 1 and, one and 2. Verses 3 to 5 is telling his personal testimony, right? Which is, will be a reflection of ours. And then David not only tells you his, um, how happy he is for having been forgiven, but also he's, right, he's telling you um, when he, God's hand was heavy upon him. And then verses 6 at the end of the chapter it tells you and this is how how to avoid getting in trouble again with God so this is what we're going to see this this morning so it's um, it's a wonderful psalm many of us are familiar with with these psalms but what happens when the Christian falls in this grateful sin shameful sin scandalous sin what happens right can he or she ever rise again to, I guess, to where what they were before, a mature believer, someone everyone trusted perhaps, someone look up to? And I, I guess the big question is how does God respond to the faithful one who falls? We're not perfect, but there will be times in which we will fall and we will fall hard. And there is great pain in knowing that you and I have sinned against God. You know, after everything we worked so hard for, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a situation that is very shameful. How do we get there? How do we, how do we end up there? Right? 
this author says no burden is heavier than the burden of guilt and that's what David talks about here your hand was heavy upon me as we read parts of scripture we think of Noah after getting drunk laid naked in his bed what's up with that right law committing incest Moses committing manslaughter Solomon besides idolatry these other have more wives than he can handle right not one or two but quite a few we read of David who committed murder and adultery probably within a month or so I don't know but it's really those are the things we don't we we read but can that happen to us right will that happen to us will that ever happen to us or even Job questioning seriously questioning the goodness of God the justice of God is that a sin right or even Mark who decided to leave Paul and Barnabas and saying hey this is not for me I'm out of here this missionary stuff is not, it's not I'm not eating sign up for this um, but why would God include so many failures in the Bible now, I just read just on only a few of them there are quite a few in the Bible but if God has saved me has given me his Holy Spirit to guide me sanctify me why do I sin and sometimes we fall into shameful sin can God restore us again should he restore, restore us again and that's what Psalm 32 help us understand the, of the goodness of God of his faithfulness uh, towards us so David will answer, <clears throat> David will answer and on Psalm 32 will tell us how we have a gracious and forgiving God but also will tell us hey we have a gracious and forgiving God but hey if you want to stay out of trouble I'll give you some guidance pertaining to that as well okay so we're going to be looking at a joyful expression um, a joyful expression but before we move um, continue let, let's pray for God's God's uh, direction here in this psalm Lord just help us teach us um, open our minds and hearts to learn from you Lord it is our desire to know you more in the name of Christ we pray Amen a joyful expression how is our joy expressed here verse 1 blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered our joy is expressed when our rebellion is forgiven and I use the word rebellion because of the word here transgression the word transgression is is blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered Another, another time when we are so happy to be forgiven and when God forgives us this is a time of joy this is expression of joy not only expressed by a new believer but from us as well those who have fallen into sin those who have departed from walk with God some Bibles use the word happy other Bibles use the word blessed uh, 
and I just want to emphasize, I think we have seen this before, that the word blessed means more, obviously more than happy, can mean contentment, satisfaction, peace, assurance, joy, fulfillment. It's a really robust word to describe our, our state. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This state of blessedness is the result of God's acceptance. When we repent, God forgives. God forgives. We are blessed because we are happy and we should be happy. Uh, and one of the things we want us to understand is why are we, why are we happy? But David says our transgression is forgiven. What is transgression? Another word for transgression we can say the crime that we have committed against God the magnitude of our sin it describes someone who is in willful rebellion towards him rebelling against his authority uh, willfully disobeying his holy law knowing what I, if I need to do this I disobey I'm disobeying his, his holy law okay it's, it's, it's one I think we have to understand sin, transgression, iniquity all those uh, describes the totality of our sin of who we are and so when we sin against God we rebel against God when we, we transgress against God we commit a crime against God and that's what um, is, is the importance of this word to understand Psalm, David even in Psalm 51 says against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight and he understands that, that magnitude of that sin. It just, it just describes such a, a magnitude here. Um, to, the, to, to describe the totality of our sin, uh, we see a few words here. I want us, want us to look at the verse here. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Sin, transgression, sin here. And then in verse 2, uh, it talks about iniquity. It's really describing three words to describe the totality of our sinful state. But this act of rebellion is dealt by God. And that's the joy, David's joy, and our joy. And because he forgives. He forgives. Blessed is he, blessed is he who transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Our sin is covered. Both really emphasize, uh, the imagery here is the Day of Atonement. Right? The Day of Atonement, when David bars this imagery from... from um, from the Day of Atonement, in which the priest will carry the blood, the blood of the animal uh, that has been sacrificed, and, and will, he will sprinkle that uh, over the holy place, over the tabernacle. And this sprinkling or covering will sim- symbolize God uh, covering your sin, forgiving your sin, and then the wrath of God will not be applied. And so, think of, uh, think of those. So. David is happy because my sin is forgiven. And because my sin is forgiven, God's wrath is not going to be applied uh, towards me. And that's what David is so happy about. Um, Because obviously we have not experienced God's wrath. So that's why sometimes um, we have to think a little bit harder on on those terms. And the other thing is our joy expressed when our defilement is taken away. Our sin is taken away, our defilement is taken away. Verse 2, blessed is, blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. 
meaning he's not giving you uh, he's not imputing it. Let's, let's go back to the terms we're familiar uh, meaning Christ's righteousness when we come to when we become Christians our sin is taken and Christ's righteousness is imputed in us and that's the only way we can stand before God uh, as righteous people is because of Christ's righteousness David is saying this is taken away it's not, he's not imputing that sin that belongs to me it is really being taken away his cover so that his wrath doesn't apply upon me and then um, so remember here it says the Lord does not impute in whose spirit there is no to see that this person is his sin is being taken away it's covered it's being forgiven it's uh, it, it, it's imputing in the New Testament is really not just taking away now it's imputing Christ's righteousness so that we can stand before him the father takes away our sin and places that on Christ's account in Christ's righteousness accredited to us because of Christ's merit now let's not take this very lightly because even God says in Isaiah says all of our righteousness are like filthy rags so we're not able to present ourselves before God that's why God has to take uh, that sin away we, he, he forgives our sins He has to take that away He's able to give us His righteousness because Christ's righteousness because He lived the perfect life now is this not a cause for joy? and we say yes, of course where else do I see that in the Psalms? Right? Psalms 103 verse 12 it says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. That's a cause for joy. And let's not forget Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, Even I, he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, I will not remember, remember your sins. So <clears throat> here we have uh, the cause for joy. Now remember also even other hymns sing of that uh, the part which sin is being removed and you, all of us are familiar with it is well with my soul so that is a stanza now I'm not going to sing it to you because I want you to remain the rest of the sermon here so yeah says my sin or all oh, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part by the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more uh, here's the praise part it says praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul that is a cause for joy that is a cause for joy if you have experienced the joy of forgiveness it, this theological truth is, just grabs you it just grabs you because you understand that you are right with God now First uh, John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he's faithful just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness it's the cause for joy this should be causing joy it's causing joy uh, David expressing his joy he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. 
Okay, that is uh, David is expressing uh, his joy because his total the totality of his sin is no longer there. Then he gets into his personal testimony. Uh, the results of unconfessed sin. What happens when we don't confess our sin? What happens? Verse three, 3, 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. What happens when we are in a state of unconfessed sin? David describes his agony. Uh, no, don't raise your hands. I'm just going to ask a question. But have we ever been in that state of agony? Right? Have we ever been in that when God's hand is... Um, when I'm not confessing my sin, when, when God's hand is really heavy upon me? That result of word, the burden, it, it takes a physical toll on the body. It, it, it takes, it's really heavy. You cannot, like David's describing, and I think it, we, we reflect on that too. For day and night, your, heavy was, your hand was heavy upon me. I, I, can't, I can't sleep. I'm always, my guilt is way too heavy. I need to confess that. I need to confess that. Now let me ask you, it, it reflects sometimes in the, it has a physical manifestation of our, weak, of our weak spiritual life, right? Depression will be one of them. Is my unconfessed sin, is depression, sorry, is depression a result of unconfessed sin? Is stress part of my unconfessed sin? A, a habitual liar will add more upon the lies um, upon the lies um, lies upon lies until he blows up right anger will take the physical toll and you will blow up in anger so sometimes we don't think along those lines so those, those are just you know I'm just not today's not my best day I woke up on the wrong side of the <laughs> wrong side of the bed or um I haven't had my coffee, things like that. The thing is, is that a pattern, though? Is that a pattern? Yeah, we act weird when we don't have our coffee, but uh, sometimes this is a pattern uh, of unconfessed sin. Your hand was heavy upon me, says uh, here, uh, the awareness of the need of repentance. The Lord was dealing with David severely, and only God can accomplish this, this in our lives. And I can say that sin will suck the life out of you and me. Sometimes it will take a crisis in our lives to, for us to see the illness uh, in our lives to see that. The loss of a job, COVID-19. You didn't think I was going to say that, right? Family problems, right? And uh, uh, all of that God will use to awaken to awaken us to our spiritual state and here there is verse 5 where the results of, uh, of, of confessing it says 
Okay, so I'm here suffering in verse 3 and 4. I'm suffering because God's hand is heavy upon me. And then verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Once again, we see this, those three words. Sin, iniquity, transgression. Words appear again. It describes the totality of our sin. So in my, David say, in my complete corruption, I acknowledge my sin, and God forgave me. According to these verses, we see David believing God's forgiveness and found joy in the fact that he was forgiven. Okay. Number five, it's a statement of fact, not a command, but it tells you by implication that we need to confess our sins. We need to confess or else God's hand will be heavy upon us. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you, God, and my iniquity I have not hidden. There's a problem, um, problem here today, though. Verse five helps us understand something that we we that are familiar. There's a familiar phrase uh, in our in today, and it says, I, "I cannot forgive myself." Right? You have heard that expression. Well, that expression sounds very pious, very inspiration. Insp- Inspirational or inspire you, might inspire you, and it, it might you might say, well, yeah, you know, sometimes I just cannot forgive myself. But here it tells you that we are need to turn to God. The problem with this phrase, I cannot forgive myself, it begs the question: Are you more righteous than God? Right. Are you, you mean you have higher standards than God? Do you? Do we really? And so that phrase, as inspirational or pious sounds, is really not biblical. We need to, you know, learn from David here and we will confess our sin no matter how bad it is. It, it is that need of, of coming, of repenting towards God. Right, it's the same thing. If God is able to forgive us, uh, we need to have the same attitude towards other other people. Now, sometimes we don't. We sometimes we shoot our wounded. We don't restore people when they confess their sin. We shun them. We don't bring them back into the community. It is the sin is way too great. <laughs> Let's kick him out. You know. Uh, kick him out of the church or kick her out of the church because uh, we are we're not going to be looking at that sin so that same idea goes here we are need to, in need of not only seeking, asking God for forgiveness but we also need to be if God is righteous and, and, and willing to forgive us we also have to forgive others in their state of uh, repentance our experience of the forgiveness of God should be the heart of our spiritual experience. We are to forgive others as well. Now, three and four, we talked about the, God's hand was heavy upon upon David. Verse five says, "I acknowledge my sin." And David now is going to say, tells us in verse six, seven, 
to the end of the ch- chapter is going to tell us some, give us some exhortations. Okay, how do we keep ourselves in the right path? Right, we 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 have come before God. We're asking God for forgiveness. We sense that forgiveness and we rejoice. Right, but now, can you help me, David? <laughs> Do you stay on the right path? Can you help me? And David says, of course I can help you. <laughs> I've been there, done that, uh, for sure. So, but before we talked about that, uh, there is a quote I, wanna, I want us to kind of grasp here. And J.C. Ryle states the following. It says, a man falls in private before he falls in public. So, Sometimes in our weaknesses, we say dumb stuff, we say stupid stuff. Uh, J.C. Ryle really emphasizing the, the fact that you, 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 the reason now you fall in public is because something already happened in private. In fact, nothing's happening in private. Right? So something in private, now by the time it gets to be public, we have to deal with what happened when, you, when, things, when there was things in private. The private stuff we don't see. So <clears throat> when, I, when I, uh, anyone in the church, ministers, well, we, obviously we all see that. When ministers or fall, fall away from the faith or fall into disgraceful sin, it, it wasn't in the moment of weakness. It was already something that was cooking, right? It just... Uh, by the time it went public, by the time you served the soup, <laughs> it's already cooked, right? It was already, it was already uh, there. So, and that's what we're saying. So, well, how do we avoid those pitfalls? How do we avoid from getting all the way to the public? I mean, we need to deal with it in, the, in our uh, privately. First thing, verse six says. We must pray to God. For this cause, everyone who is godly should pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they should not come near you. David says, everyone who is godly needs to call upon you. All the saints. First, Isaiah 55 says, I seek, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, it says, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And it says, let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. It is, there are consequences for Christians who do not repent. We have seen that. You know, and even in, even in First Corinthians, we see the consequences of those who uh, continue to sin. But there, here's an interesting phrase that we see: "Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come." Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. Shall come near him. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, obviously, or in, in the, let's put it here, in Psalm 32, what I think is, is referring to, it's God's wrath. There are consequences. For, for a believer, God's judgment and His discipline. 
that's his, his discipline. As David is so painfully experienced by confessing his sin, <clears throat> uh, rather than covering it, uh, God will spare us. Uh, God will spare us from the agonizing pain of his discipline. So it's an imagery that tells us that God's wrath or God's discipline for us will not reach us. Right? That's why David says, for this reason, for this cause, everyone, all the saints, please pray for uh, to God. That's God's mercy. That's God's mercy. He is there. He's re- ready to listen to us but we must confess our sins verse 7 we must rest in God you are my hiding place it says you shall preserve me from trouble you shall surround me with songs of deliverance songs of deliverance and there's other passages of course in scripture that speaks of God as a refuge a shield here in verse 7 describes God as a place where we find protection it's a place of rest where no sin stands. See? And so, the only thing I can think of, for example, let's say I consider myself a strong Christian, right? Strong Christian. I consider myself a strong Christian. Because I'm strong, that that gives me the right to spend lots of time in a bar. Right? That's kind of a... Right? No. <laughs> so... Would I be safer in the bar? Would I be safer in the church? That, that's kind of that. That's kind of the idea. I find my security in God. I'm not going to put myself in the position where I get tempted. I'm not going to put myself in a position where I eventually that temptation is going to lead to other sin or to to fall. Eventually, I don't want to put myself in places where I pretty much don't belong there it's going to lead me eventually lead me straight you want the safer the place the better in this case God is our safe our shield a, a safe uh, refuge in, in times of travel says the um, scripture a, a secret place tells other parts of, of some uh, a spot where something is concealed cannot be found so it is much better to hide in God than to hide from God. We forfeit God's protection when we do not repent and continue in sin. That's um, that is here that what what David is telling us. You are my hiding place. It says, "You shall preserve me from trouble." You, I go to you, not hide from you, not hide from you. We must learn from God. Verse eight. We must learn from God. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. David here assumes the role of a teacher. Right here says, I will guide you with my eye. It, it assumes divine supervision. Divine supervision. God uses his word to provide guidance. He provides his spirit to provide guidance and protection. But we must learn from God. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Now, how do we receive instruction from God? If we are to move away, if we are to move to a safer place, let's say, uh, away from, you know, 
from temptation, away from those things that cause us to fall. How are we going to learn from God? How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, God has given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit, right? For us, He provides in that way. He provides in that in that way. He provides direction. And Second Timothy three remind us of Scripture. It says Scripture. Scripture is given by inspiration and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, meaning mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In a state of sin, you're not able to accomplish things. You're not equipped for good work. You're not to do that. We're not to to do that. God provides sufficient instruction from His Word, direction from from Him. Uh, Romans 8 says that our spirit speaks to our spirit, that we are children of God. There's this spiritual element also here that we see (coughs) I will instruct you and teach you in the way. If God is, even though David assumes the role of a teacher, is God through David who's speaking, right? I will treat you. I will instruct you. I will guide you in my own eye. But then at the same time, he says, verse 9, We must obey God. Do not be rebellious. He says, Do not be like the horse or like the mule. Wonderful imagery, right? Who have no understanding, which must be hardness with bit and bridle. What is that? We are so stubborn. <clears throat> We're so stubborn at times that God has to use any means necessary to bring you back to the fold, to the uh, community. He will use whatever means necessary. For David, this is a cause for joy. Because for David, it means that, okay, let's say I screwed up so bad. Okay, I screwed up so bad. Well, I'm still not going to be abandoned by God. It's going to be a painful return to the community, right? To the church community. It will be painful, but He will bring bring me back. It says, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. It's a rebellious state that we can find ourselves, but God doesn't want us. One is there such an imagery that he uses he's using he's using animals because a lot of us even though I'm not a farmer but you know, I know that how do how do we uh, manage mules and horses right if you just run them you can let them run wild while they will stay but there's a time in which you put a harness and they they will do whatever you tell them to do right and uh, God is using that imagery that we find we can find ourselves in that same state uh, a mule I'll, I'll, I'll pick the horse for me I like mules <laughs> I'll be the horse uh, a horse or a mule Lord must be it, it is is amazing it, to tame those animals the Lord must use sorry to tame those animals we use right use harnesses in the same way the Lord must use Chasing is to break us, break our will, and bring us into submission again. To submission again. We must not rebel against God. 
or else he will use all means necessary to bring you back, and that will be painful. Verse 10, Paul's, David says, we must trust God. Not only do we need to pray to God, hide in God, be instructed by God, do not rebel against God, but now he says, in verse 10, we must trust God. Men's sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Mercy. We're not like the wicked ones, are we? Hope not, right? But do we, we act sometimes in, the, in that manner? But here it says, Many sorrows will, will, shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. We must trust in God. We're not like the wicked. Hopefully not. We belong to God. Having part of having a close communion with God is to trust the Lord regarding every, every area of our lives. That's what we ask for wisdom. Make sure we make the right decision. Make sure we don't fall in sin. Make sure we uh, follow His footsteps. That we're not wandering in, in places where we don't, we don't need to, whether it is physically or even mentally. Right? Um, because of our imperfect lives, this could be a, a difficult task for us, but according to David, it must be done. We've got to trust God. They ultimately, the wicked ultimately suffer because they refuse to trust in the Lord as their Savior. So whether it is in the area of marriage, finances, relationships, jobs, our current situation... We still got to go to Him for direction, for wisdom, and trust Him that He will answer accordingly to His mercy, according to His goodness. We have to remember that even if, we, if I say to you, who are the wicked? Some of you will say, well, those who defy God by continuing in their sin, refusing to repent and turn to Him. Who are they? Well, you just turn around all of us out there plenty of them plenty of them um, but we're not like them we are, we've been saved we, we, by God's mercy we've been saved from, all, uh, from being part of that group the wicked for those who receive Christ but choose to persist in sin time, or, time on earth will be spent under the heavy hand of God's discipline and we don't want to be there we don't want to be there we want to be uh, rescued. Uh, finally, verse 11. We must rejoice in God. We must rejoice in God. Rejoice in God's forgiveness. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We are to rejoice because He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. We are to rejoice because he, you know, we belong to Him. It's a painful, for some of us, it's been a painful journey because we refuse to obey, but God is faithful. He brings us back into the family. Times there in which, you know, we we suffer so much a lot of times and we forget that God is ready to forgive because that's an act of humility, ready to forgive. So we must rejoice. And Psalm 32 is what it tells us. Tells us It's a wonderful psalm because it says, 
David says, I'm happy because God has forgiven me. I'm happy. And let me give you my personal testimony, says David. And this is what happened when I did not confess my sin. And then David says, in order for me to keep myself on the right track, he says, we need to... um, Verse 6, it starts in verse 6, right? We need to pray. God... uh, have God as our hiding place as a safe place and then he needs to teach us and train us um, and guide us and then we should not be disobedient and then we rejoice in that we rejoice in that I would like to close with, and in summary I would like to close from um, something I read when I was going through you know, through my studies um, and I think it captures Psalm 32 and I borrow this from this author and it says the very moment we realize we had sinned we need to hit the instruction of this psalm to confess and forsake our sin if we fail to do so we will suffer the heavy hand of God's discipline but praise his name for he is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sin He says, no joy compares to the joy of being forgiven. Nothing this world offers can compare to the blessing of living in fellowship with the Lord. This world, with all of its advances and technology, provides nothing as as secure as living in the center of God's all-encompassing love. We should never be so foolish as to value the empty pleasures of sin over the bountiful blessings of righteous living. I think he does a great job in capturing Psalm 32. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We do praise you for your faithfulness. That even in our weaknesses, we can come to you. Even in our worst sinful state, we can come to you and ask for forgiveness. God causes us to rejoice because we know that you forgive. And we praise you for that, Lord. Help us to heed the exhortations of David to keep to stay on the right path so that we dwell in the sin that can easily entangle us. We thank you, Father, for the life you've given us in Christ. Amen. Let us all not join hands.